I feel at home. I um, was telling Max whenever I came in, I looked at your building. It reminds me of our building. So I feel comfortable here. And uh, also, not only that, but even your worship, the music that you sing, it's all familiar to me. And that's a good thing, uh, especially in churches today. You never know what you're going to find when you go from place to place. But anyway, it's been wonderful. So thank you all for allowing me to be here. It is good for me to be here with you in the state of Arkansas today. Uh, I have preached a couple of times in Arkansas, never been to Little Rock, so I'm glad to be here uh, today. And I want to say a special thanks uh, to your pastor, Brother Dave, for allowing me to stand in this place. I know uh, pastors, we guard our pulpit. We want to be in our pulpit Sunday after Sunday. And so I do not take lightly the opportunity to come and preach here uh, today. And then also to say to my friend, Brother Max, thanks for staying for the service, by the way. Um, <laughs> Max Pyron and I have known each other for a long, long time. And uh, whenever he asked me to come and do this last year, I was so excited to do it. And then, of course, uh, COVID came and kind of changed everything. But I'm able to be able to be here with you and to be with Max and to be with, with Sherry. Um, it is just a real treat. I'm looking forward to this week, not just being with them. I'm looking forward to being with you and just seeing what God's going to do in these days that we spend together. I pastor the Westside Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been there for a little over 24 years now, but I am not a native Floridian. Most of the people in Florida are not native Floridians. Everybody moves to Florida. So I moved to Florida over 24 years ago from Oklahoma. I think uh, myself and probably Max as well never thought that I would ever leave Oklahoma, but uh, Max came to Arkansas, I went to Florida, and so I've been there for a long time now and in, enjoying my time in Florida. And sometimes people say, well, Florida, you know, it's a, it's a nice place, but they don't, have, they don't have four seasons down there in Florida. Oh, yeah, we do. We have the NASCAR season, we have hurricane season, we have football season, and we have hunting season. So we have all this, we have probably even a few more than that. But anyway, I, I enjoy uh, being there. And today I've come to share uh, with all of you, and then I'm looking forward to sharing with as many as you who will come back uh, tonight and then also through Wednesday night. Well, I know you're sitting there, you're wondering if I'm going to preach a good sermon. I'm standing here wondering if you'd know one if you heard one. And uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to take your Bible today and turn with me to the book of 1 John. Would you turn to 1 John? And uh, I'm going to share a scripture from 1 John here in just a moment. In 1994, I was attending the Southern Baptist Convention in Orlando, Florida. I did not live there at the time, but yet I attended the convention that was held there. And uh, I attended the pastor's conference. And the pastor's conference, if you've never been there, uh, it's just preaching and singing. And so I went there to that pastor conference in Orlando, and there was a man speaking by the name of Zig Ziglar. Some of y'all remember that name, right? How can you forget a name like that? Zig Ziglar. Uh, Zig Ziglar, he was a Christian, he was a Baptist, he was an author, he was a motivational speaker. Um, he went home to be with the Lord, I think, back in 2012. But Zig came to speak to pastors at the pastor's conference. And the title of his message to the pastors was, Ten Suggestions to Pastors. 
I think there's probably a lot of y'all sitting out there saying, I'd like to give 10 suggestions to the pastors, but Zig got the opportunity, all right? He spoke 10 suggestions to pastors. I don't remember all the suggestions that he gave, but I do remember one that he gave. One of them said, he said to pastors, keep the message clear. As a layperson speaking to pastors, he said, always keep the message clear. And when he said that, it reminded me of an old song that we sometimes still sing in our churches. The title of it is, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Remember that old song? And the chorus says, sing it o'er and o'er again, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Make the message clear and plain, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Make the message clear and plain. One of the challenges a pastor has is to take the message of the gospel and to make it clear and plain. So I'm going to do my very best today to take the message of the gospel and make it as clear and plain as I possibly can. Every time I come to preach, well, that may be a stretch, every time. I try to remember every time I come to preach, two groups of people. I always try to remember, number one, there's somebody here who may be hearing the gospel for the very first time. And the key word in that is clarity. Well, what I'm talking about today, there needs to be clarity. Somebody who's hearing the gospel for the very first time. But number two, I'm always reminded, too, that there's somebody here who may be hearing the gospel for the very last time. And if that be the case, then the key word there is urgency. There needs to be an urgency about the message that we preach. And so as I thought about this day, this moment, I thought of a passage of Scripture that I want to share with you today. If you have your Bible there in 1 John, I want you to find chapter 5 and verse 12. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. And I'm going to ask you to do what I ask people to, in my church to do as I read the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to please stand in honor and reverence to the infallible, inerrant Word of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Keep this in mind. We're trying to give the clear message of the gospel. It says this, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not lie. Now, in my mind, that's pretty clear. That's just one verse. Can I read it again? Thank you. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I want to speak, preach to you today on what I call one clear verse. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you today for this opportunity to stand in this place and preach the Word of God. Father, I thank you for those who have gathered in this room and those who are watching online. I pray today that the Spirit of God would move in this place. God, we would ask that you would make your message clear to every person in this room and those who will watch or listen. And I ask today that you would help me. God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I pray that you would cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would take control of my mind, my thoughts, my tongue, my words. And I pray that what I say today will be used by you to speak to the hearts of these, your people today. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Here is a very clear verse of Scripture that one that um, many of you perhaps know by heart, but if you don't, you can certainly commit this verse to memory in a very quick way. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I want to say to you this morning three things from that verse of Scripture. I want to say to you, first of all, it is a simple verse. I think you would agree with me on that. It is a simple verse. It is one of the easiest verses in all the Bible to read. It is one of the easiest verses in all the Bible to understand. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because this verse does not contain any words that are hard to pronounce. Any of you ever reading your Bible, get us some words, and you think, I'm not sure how to pronounce that word. But there's nothing like that in this verse. Zerubbabel is not found in this verse of Scripture. That little, that King James word concupiscence is not found in this verse of Scripture. There's not a word here that is hard to pronounce. You also know this is a simple verse because there is no doctrine in this verse that is difficult to understand. Any of you wrestle sometimes with different doctrines trying to understand what does the Bible say about that? But there's nothing here that is hard to understand. There is no word here, uh, anything about predestination or election in this verse of Scripture. There is nothing here in this verse of Scripture about eschatology, what you believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ. None of that is there. Whenever you read this verse of Scripture, listen to me now, there are only 19 words in this one verse of Scripture. 19 words. None of them have more than four letters. Are you with me today? It is a simple verse. 19 words. None of them have more than four letters. None of them have more than one syllable unless you're from the south. And all, of, all words have at least two if you're from the south. And so whenever you look at this verse of Scripture, it is a simple verse. Now let me say this. Don't dismiss it because... It is simple. Don't think, well, it's a simple verse and therefore it's not important. Oh, it's very, very important. You know that there are only three primary colors, but think about what Michelangelo did with just three primary colors. And by the way, those three primary colors are red and green and blue. Now, I didn't need to say that for you, but I need to say that to my congregation because some of them think that the three primary colors are Ford blue, primer gray, and John Deere green. Those are not the three primary colors. But think also about what uh, there are only 10 uh, numerical digits. But look what Einstein did with just 10 numerical digits. There are only seven musical notes. But think of what Beethoven and Mozart did with just seven musical notes. Think what Elvis did with just two. So I'm saying to you, it is a very simple verse of Scripture. Somebody said that the Gettysburg Address it only contains 262 words, and the average reader can read it in about two minutes, but yet it's one of the most powerful speeches that has ever been made in American history. So I'm simply saying this to you today. This verse of Scripture is a simple verse, but don't dismiss it because it's simple. As a matter of fact, there are several verses in your Bible that are simple. Genesis 1-1 is a simple verse. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. That is a simple verse. But yet that one verse of Scripture slams the door on all the other theories of creation. Whenever you can somehow get grasp the fact that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you don't need to go to all the other theories about how this world came into existence. I also would say to you, John 3.16 is a simple verse of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that is a simple verse of scripture but listen to this it answers many of the questions that people have today it answers the question of atheism for God it answers the question of fatalism so love it answers the question of nationalism, the world. It answers the question of materialism that he gave. It answers the question of Mohammedism, his only begotten son. It answers the question of five-point Calvinism, that whosoever. It answers the question of pluralism, believeth in him. It answers the question of annihilationism, should not perish. It answers the question of Arminianism, but have everlasting life. It is a one simple verse of Scripture, but yet it is not only simply profound, it is profoundly simple. So don't look at he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, and think, well, that's just a simple word, uh, verse, but yet it's not really important. Now, you probably already know this by now. I like simple. I like simple. I remember whenever I, whenever I first started preaching, Brother Dave, I, I was 19 years old. Are you with me today? So a church called me to be their pastor when I was 19 years old. You know what I found? Sunday comes around real regular. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I mean, I, and every Sunday morning they expected me to come to the pulpit and have something to say. I ran across a man by the name of Herschel Ford. Herschel Ford had a bunch of books. They were called Simple Sermons. Simple Sermons for Special Days. Simple Sermons for Sunday Morning. Simple Sermons on Heaven and Hell. And I tell you, if it hadn't have been for Herschel Ford's Simple Sermons, I wouldn't have made it, probably. But yet I was reading, the, and, and I think because I was reading some of his sermons on Simple Sermons, it made me a simple preacher. I want to tell you this. I think one of the greatest compliments that any pastor, any preacher, any man of God will ever hear is whenever one of the church members comes up and says, you know what, you're just a simple preacher. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about shallow. I'm not talking about boring. I'm talking about easy to understand. Do you understand there are some things in this book that are difficult to understand? And it's the challenge of the pastor to take those things which are difficult and make them simple for people to understand. I like simple. When I was about 14 years of age, I became a paper boy. Now, in our modern world, you don't hardly hear this anymore, but I, they, I, we were living in Oklahoma. They had a statewide newspaper called the Daily Oklahoma, and 14, when I was 14 years old, I became a paper, paper boy. What that meant was every morning I, at 4 o'clock, I would get up and I would go down to a little convenience store. They would deliver the papers there from Oklahoma City. I would roll them up, put a rubber band around them. I would get on my 55cc Yamaha. I love that hog. I get on that little 55cc Yamaha. I had a little pouch. It had a little bag over here, a little bag over here, kind of like saddlebags. And I'd put some of those papers over here and some of them over there. And I would take off of my paper route and I would go from house to house. And I'd reach in here and I'd take one of those papers out and I'd throw it on the porch. I'd take another one out, throw it on the porch. You would have loved me if I was your paper boy. You know why? 
because my goal was to put the paper right there at your front door. So whenever you got up in the morning and you went to your front door, you opened up your front door, all you had to do is just reach down there and pick it up. Did I say it was my goal to put it at the front door? That didn't always happen. Sometimes it went on the roof. Sometimes it went under the shrubs. You know, people come out and they had to look for it. And whenever God called me to preach, I have always felt like I'm kind of like God's messenger boy. I'm God's paper boy. And listen, whenever I come to preach this book on Sunday morning or Sunday nights or whenever it might be, my goal is not to throw it over your head. My goal is not to throw it under your feet. My goal is to put it right there in front of you so you can understand what the Word of God has to say. The Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That is a simple verse. Now, let me say a second thing about it. Not only is it a simple verse, it is a saving verse. Did you notice what it said? There are two things that are really important here in this verse of Scripture. One is, this verse speaks about the Son. He that hath the Son, capital S-O-N, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So we understand that, probably most all of you in the room today, to be a, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ that the Bible says that Jesus of Nazareth is God's Son. You read that several places in the Word of God. You remember whenever Jesus got baptized in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says that a, a voice came from heaven, and the voice was saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That was the voice of the Father saying to His Son, This is my beloved Son. Whenever Jesus was nailed to the cross, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 54, there was a, a Roman centurion that was there, and he was watching Jesus die, and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Those are just two references at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his life, but both of them say the same thing, that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm here today to declare to you that I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of God. Here in a modern world, whenever many people still can't figure out who Jesus is, the Bible says He is the Son of God. I believe in His virgin birth. I believe in His virtuous life. I believe in His vicarious death. I believe in His victorious resurrection. Did you celebrate that last Sunday morning? I'm going to tell you what, we celebrate that every Sunday morning, that Jesus Christ is alive. Yet last week was Easter, but I want you to know this, Jesus is still alive today. And so we celebrate His victorious life. And by the way, we also, will, yeah, go ahead. You can give the Lord a hand if you'd like to do that. But I also believe in his visible return. I like that song, didn't you? I love that song. I love thinking about the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But whenever you think about all those things, when you think about his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, it all says to us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I said to you there are two verses, I was talking about those simple verses. I said Genesis 1-1 is a simple verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 3-16 is a simple verse, for God so loved the world. Those are simple verses of scriptures. And by the way, if, you'll, if you can't believe Genesis 1-1, then you're probably going to have a hard time believing John 3-16. 
But if you can somehow believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave his life for you. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. The Bible says Jesus is God's Son. But there's another word there. He, this verse not only speaks of the Son, it speaks of, the, of life. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now what kind of life is he talking about? Well, he's referencing there eternal life. Eternal life. What is eternal life? Two things. Let me say this to you quickly. Number one, eternal life is an abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The word abundantly is a word that means an overflowing kind of life. It's talking about a life that is different, uh, that is beyond ordinary life. It's the opposite of having an empty life. And how many people say things like this today? My, my life just feels so empty. I, I have no direction. I have no purpose. Oh, listen, the only way that you ever have direction and purpose and meaning in life is through Jesus Christ. He said that that's what eternal life is. It's an abundant life, but not only that, it's an unending life. It means we're going to live forever and forever. Oh, listen, that last breath does not end at all. Life goes beyond that last breath. It goes beyond that last heartbeat, beyond the grave. The Bible says that we can have eternal life. So whenever you look at this verse of Scripture, it talks about the sun and it talks about the life, and, but then, then it ties it together by saying the key to having this life is having the sun. For he said, he, uh, he that hath the sun, the word Half, there's a word that means to possess. It means to possess the Son. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to me. This eternal life is tied to a relationship with God's Son. So how do you have him? How do you possess him? The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You have to receive him into your heart. You have to receive him into your life. Oh, it's not enough, friend, just for you to say, well, I have a, I have a head knowledge of God. I believe there is a God. Oh, no, it's not about just having a head knowledge it's about having a hard experience. Somebody said a lot of people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. That's the distance between your head and your heart. A lot of people know about God, but they don't know God. The Bible says you don't have a life that you must possess him. And what happens is I, I remember it so well because whenever I was a seven-year-old boy, I was a seven-year-old boy at the First Baptist Church of Burns Flat, Oklahoma, whenever I heard a message like I'm preaching to you today, and it made sense to me, it resonated with me, and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life, forgive me my sin, be my Savior. It changed my life, changed my eternity. And I want to tell you, because you have the Son, you have life. But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. So if you want to have eternal life, then you need the Son. There is a famous painting that's hanging in, uh, in, in London in St. Paul's Cathedral. It's a painting that was painted by a man by the name of Holman Hunt. Probably many of you have seen it perhaps in a picture or heard about it, but Holman Hunt painted this beautiful picture of Jesus. And the picture has Jesus uh, standing outside of a little cottage, and there's a door there, and Jesus has a lantern. He's holding a lantern in this hand, and the lantern is lit, and the, and the light is shining. And the other hand, Jesus is knocking on the door. The title of the painting is The Light of the World. And it's just Jesus standing there holding a lantern, knocking at the door. A beautiful, beautiful painting. 
the story is told that whenever they were unveiling that painting, that uh, there were several people had gathered together. The, 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 the painting was under a canvas, and it came time to unveil it. They removed the canvas, and everybody saw the painting by Holman Hunt, and we're talking about how beautiful it was until one little boy came up to Holman Hunt and said, Mr. Hunt, you made a mistake on your painting. And Holman Hunt said, I did. What's my mistake? And the little boy said, you forgot to draw a doorknob on the door. And Holman Hunt said, that's not a mistake. He said, son, the doorknob's on the inside. The only way for Jesus to get in is whoever's on the inside to open the door and let him in. And I'll tell you this, my friend. Jesus Christ is a perfect gentleman. He'll stand outside the door of your heart. And he'll knock on your door. He'll speak to you through a song. He'll speak to you through a sermon. He'll speak to you through the Holy Spirit. But listen to me carefully. He will not come in where he's not invited. He's not going to come in where somebody doesn't want him. But I'll tell you, whenever you by faith say, Lord Jesus, I know that you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me. And you ask him to come in your heart. You open that door by faith. Jesus Christ will walk into your life. And that's when that verse comes alive to you. He that hath the Son hath life. You'll have eternal life. There's one other thing I want to say to you about this verse of Scripture. It's also not only a simple verse. It's not only a saving verse. But this verse of Scripture is also a solemn verse. Did you see it there? Hold it in, in your Bible. Look at it again. The Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. And the Bible says, He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so what he's saying is, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If you don't have life, what do you have? You have death. If you don't have life, you have death. Now, whenever you read in your Bible about death, you'll find the Bible talks about several different kinds of death. Let me just share them with you rather quickly. Number one, sometimes when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death. Whenever God said to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, He said, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Bible says that Eve took that forbidden fruit and she ate. She gave it to her husband and he did eat. And the Bible says that day they died. Not, not physically, but they died spiritually. They were separated from God because of their sin. And that's what it means to be spiritually dead. It means to be separated from God. No life, no hope, no, no, no promise of heaven. Separated from God because of their sin. And so what, what happens is whenever somebody is spiritually dead, they need a spiritual resurrection. And so they were, were, were dead. Do you understand today that it's possible to be living and breathing your heart pumping, blood flowing through your veins. It's possible to have all that going on for you, but yet you are spiritually dead. Dead to the things of God. That's why many people, they, you don't enjoy gospel singing. You don't enjoy gospel preaching. You don't enjoy reading your Bible. It's a drudgery to you. Why? Because you are spiritually dead. But it's possible to be brought to spiritual life. That's when, I, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That word quickened means to be made alive. He has made you alive. How? By, the, by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But sometimes when the Bible talks about death, it's talking 
talking about physical death. Every person who has not received Jesus Christ as their Savior is spiritually dead. But there's a second kind of death the Bible talks about. The Bible also talks about physical death. Now, I don't need to talk a whole lot about that one, right? As a matter of fact, some of you are sitting here, thanks, you're saying to me like, well, thanks, Pastor. I came to church on Sunday morning. You're talking about dying. Well, listen, when people quit dying, we can stop talking about dying. But as long as people die, we better talk about it. The Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible says to us that all of us, uh, unless the Lord Jesus comes, we're all going to die. We're going to physically die. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. But we all know that someday we are going to die. I was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fletcher, Oklahoma for nine years. There was a man there in my church, a member of my church. He ran the local funeral home. It was the only funeral home in the town. Uh, his name was Dale Robbins, and uh, he sometimes asked me to go help him whenever somebody passed away. But Dale, would, he would send me a birthday card every year. At the bottom of my birthday card, he would always sign it, eventually yours. That's true, right? Death comes to all of us. There will come a day whenever my name will be in the obituary column and your name will be in the obituary column. There will come a day whenever the casket will be rolled, probably placed right here in front, and my physical body, this what the Bible calls this earthly tabernacle, will be in that. Why? Because I am physically dead. It doesn't matter who you are, my friend. It doesn't matter whether you live in a large town or whether you live in a small town. Every place has a cemetery because there are people that are going to die. So the Bible says it's possible to be spiritually dead, and then if you are spiritually dead and you become physically dead, the Bible also talks about eternal death eternally separated from God. Revelation chapter 21 verses 14 and 15 says this, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and whoever whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We're looking at a simple verse. We're looking at a saving verse, and it says to us, whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And if you don't have life, he says, you'll be cast into hell. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. It does not matter how benevolent you are. It doesn't matter how brotherly you are. It doesn't even matter how Baptist you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been through the baptism. My friend, listen to me. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And if you don't have life, you're going to spend eternity separated from God forever and forever. That's what the Bible says. So, the Scripture says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's pretty clear. That's pretty simple. And we don't like to think about dying. But I know this, that when death comes, in less than five seconds, tune in please, in less than five seconds after you die, it won't matter to you whether the stock market was up or down. It won't matter to you who won the masters. In less than five seconds after you die, only one thing will matter, 
And that is, what did you do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? That's it. That's why whenever a pastor stands to preach, the, 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 the simple, the, the clarity for those who are hearing the gospel for the very first time is important. And that's why uh, the, the urgency is very important because someone here in this room may be hearing the gospel for the very last time. We don't, we don't know. Life is so uncertain. The most important thing you'll ever do is to give your heart to Jesus Christ. You might say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, that's a great question. And I'm going to give you a real simple answer. And I would encourage you, I'm, I'm going to make four statements and I'm done, all right? I'm going to make four statements and I'm done. But these four statements will tell you how to have the Son so that you can have life. So these are worth you remembering, all right? So you have a pen and pencil, you can, uh, paper, you can write these down. You have an electronic device, you can write these down. If you've got a Sharpie and you're sitting behind a bald-headed man, you can write on the back of his head. Four things, all right? Four things to remember. You, if somebody, if, if this was just you and I, and we were talking, and you said to me, Brother Keith, how can I have eternal life? Here are the four statements I would make to you, and they're important. The first statement I would make to you is this. You need to realize that you're a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did you hear that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every person inside this room, every person outside this room, every person who's ever lived, every person no matter where they are, the Bible says all have sin. And the word sin there means we miss the mark. We say things that we ought not to say. We do things that we ought not to do. And the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So we're all guilty. One thing that everyone in this room today has in common is we are all sinners. And if you're ever going to have life, you must first of all realize you are a sinner. Got that one? Secondly is this. You must recognize that Jesus is God's Son. You must recognize that Jesus is God's Son. That but Jesus is who this book says He is. Who's the book say He is? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for your sin, rose from the dead. And if you believe that with all your heart, the Bible says you have to believe that in your heart before you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So you must recognize that Jesus is God's Son. I'll give you a third thing. You must also repent of your sin. Repent, that's a good Bible word. You know what that word repent means? It means to have a change of mind that results in a change of heart and a change of direction. Did you hear that word change? If there's been no change in your life, there's been no repentance in your life. It is a change of mind that results in a change of heart and a change of direction in your life. It means that you're going on this road that the Bible says is going to lead you to an awful place called hell, and you repent, you turn around, you go in a different direction because you don't want to go that way anymore. There comes a time in your life where you say, I don't like the road I'm on. I don't like the direction I'm going. I don't like where I'm going to spend eternity. And you say, I want to repent. I want to turn around and go a different direction. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 13, 
in verse 3 and verse 5, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I just have the opinion that if Jesus said something twice, it must be pretty important. Statement number four. Statement number four is you must receive Jesus as your Savior. Receive him as your Savior. John chapter 1, verse 12, I've already referenced that. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You receive him by faith. You invite him to come into your life, be your Savior, and be your Lord. Now here's the question of the hour. Do you have the Son? Do you have a relationship with the Son? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Aren't you glad that God made the gospel simple? Aren't you glad he didn't say you have to learn how to pronounce all those words to get to heaven? Aren't you glad that there's not some kind of an exam that you're going to have to take and answer Bible like Bible trivia in order to get that? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God just said, "If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life." But it's pretty important that you make sure that you have the Son. And looking across this building today, I would imagine that there's many of you that if I were to say to you, "Tell me about." your relationship with Jesus Christ. You could tell me when and where you trusted Jesus as your Savior. I sometimes say to my church, I believe everybody needs a spot, S-P-O-T, a specific place or time, a specific place or time when you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. You have a spot? Well, if you don't, this could be your spot. This could be your place. This could be your time to settle it once and for all to be able to say, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. 